0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. My first podcast is here. I'm so excited. In my head... I had decided that I was going to use the entire first podcast to talk about Michelle Obama's best-selling book, Becoming, because 3 million people have read this book and I can't find a book club. I can't find a place online where everyone's talking about it. And that may just be a failure on my part of not knowing where to look. I'm obsessed with this book. I'm obsessed with Michelle Obama. If you follow me online, you know that I call her mom. And people always are like, why do you call Michelle Obama mom? She's totally not old enough to be your mother. But I call her mom because she used to call herself mom in chief. I think it was part of her whole plan to not fall into the same role that Hillary Clinton did when she was first lady in office because Michelle Obama is clearly qualified to do policy and all of those things. But she chose not to. She wanted to take care of her family and she made her daughters a priority and she wanted to help kids be unfat and she wanted to have a garden. She wanted to help military families. So I totally respect it. I also think that mom is probably the most lovely thing that you can call someone didn't think I could love her anymore before I read her book. And now I'm like purely infatuated and obsessed with her. Obsessed in a very healthy way. And that like if I saw her somewhere in public, I would probably just like throw myself on her for a hug and then have like a complete fallout like people used to do at Michael Jackson concerts. I'd probably shake. I'd probably scream. I'd probably be like, I love you so much! Because she really just needs to know that that's how I feel about her. I think I probably just guaranteed that I will never be in the same room with Michelle Obama now. I paid an insane amount of money for Michelle Obama tickets. At the time her tour started, I was between D.C. and L.A., and I didn't know what dates I would be where, so I couldn't get the tickets in advance. And they sold out very quickly anyway. I was able to go see her at the Capital One Arena when she was here in D.C. She was um, interviewed by Valerie Jarrett. That was just, like, freaking amazing. Like, to breathe the same air as the First Lady. So I would started reading the book before... I saw her speak. So for my talk, Valerie Jarrett really just asked questions that prompted Mrs. Obama to talk about, it sounds so weird to call her Mrs. Obama. I'm just going to call her mom. I'm sorry. Um, Or Michelle, because I, I feel like we're girlfriends. I mean, no disrespect. I just, I love her. I just love her very much and calling her Mrs. Obama just seems so formal to her face. I would definitely, I would never call her Michelle to her face. But for the purposes of this, I'm just going to refer to her like she's like one of my girlfriends and I mean no harm and no disrespect. But, Michelle just, oh no, now that feels weird. Okay, mom. That feels so much more natural to me. Okay, so Valerie Jarrett prompted mom to talk about things that were already in the book. Like I saw some of the the video from her talks in like LA, like Tracy Ellis Ross was like really, really good. There was somebody in, I think, Philly. I can't remember who it was, but they they had lots of like banter. She talked about different things. There was... I don't know where she was. I don't remember what city she was in. Was it Brooklyn when she started talking about lean in and she was like, that shit don't work. And I was like, I love you. I love you so much because not because she cursed, but because she's just like, so she's a good South side woman. And without ever going to the South side of Chicago, been in Chicago a couple of times and never been to the South side, but it's the black side of any part of town is pretty much the same in any major city. You might get some, you know, unique things here and there. Like, oh, there's a Harold's chicken here. And there's, you know, D.C., we put mambo sauce on our chicken. But the black side of town is the black side of town. Right. But she's just and even when she's classied up and she's got, you know, her, her pretty hair and her designer gown and and, you know, she's doing a state dinner. She will throw you a good side eye if you test her one too many times. Like you're not going to say no foolishness. And she's just going to sit there and smile in your face and giggle. I love you. I love that your edges look like my edges. I want to say she came back from like vacation and her hair was pulled up in a ponytail and her edges were fuzzy. And I was like, oh, it's the most basic things. I like that she was a brown skinned woman who was celebrated for her beauty. And don't get me wrong. Like ain't nothing wrong with being light skinned. Ain't nothing wrong with being biracial. Light skinned people and biracial people have been celebrated for their beauty since the beginning of time. Like in comparison to, you know, browner. Or darker women. But just this brown woman who's all over a magazine cover. Who. And I hate to be one of those people to be like. Oh she's so articulate. I'm not saying she's articulate. Because like I'm surprised that she speaks well. Because she's black. I'm saying she's articulate. Because she's really freaking a great orator. I mean she's she's just like a good black woman. She's. You know some folk get to positions of power. And. They start, you know, I'm not black. I'm OJ. Nah, she's she's Southside. Like you can you can straighten the hair and you can put a kitten heel on and and a J. Cruz sweater with a skinny belt around it. That was the weirdest fashion statement. I never did understand that one, but I far be it for me to publicly criticize the first black first lady about her fashion choices in the early years. But yeah, she was just like she's just dope. I'm I'm completely enamored. I just I love her so much. But I guess at this point we should talk about the book, which is why we're here. So I picked up my copy of Becoming the day that it came out. I was I was in L.A. and I drove to a bookstore to, to get like a physical copy. I wasn't taking any risks with Amazon. Like I live for a great Amazon Prime moment. But I was like everyone and their mother is ordering this book and watch Prime mess around and be late. And mad people who'd ordered from Prime didn't get their books for a week. But I went and I picked up my copy. I wasn't going to have a chance to read it right away. I planned to start reading it on the plane ride back to D.C. But I just wanted a copy. And I carried it around in my bag like like it was the bag. You know, you get a new bag. You want to carry it like immediately. Like it might not even match what you got on. Be like, oh, I've got my new bag. I'm stunning with my new bag. Like I'm stunning with the book in my bag. And then telling people like, oh, yeah, I picked up this copy of, you know, Michelle Obama's book because it was like a, a status item. So I get the book. And the first thing I noticed, and I'd seen the cover of the book a million times, like it was plastered everywhere, but I love that it is a book, a memoir from the first lady, the first black first lady, and she got her whole shoulder out. And I was like, I love this woman. But it also made me think, and the book later confirmed it once I got far into her White House years, Michelle Obama sacrificed so much being first lady. I think from the outside looking in, you think that's a job that's, you know, an honor and a privilege. And in some degree, I'm sure she thinks of it that way. But the person that she presented herself publicly, outwardly to be as first lady is totally not who Michelle Obama is. The type of woman, a former first lady who puts a picture on the cover of her memoir with her whole bare shoulder out. Is not the type of woman who walks around in kitten heels and J Crew sweaters all day. Michelle Obama, for the first, probably like the first four years of her of, of her husband's presidency, was walking around doing her best June Cleaver impression. She wore those J Crew sweaters and those teeny tiny belts and those kitten heels to death, and everyone was like, "Oh, well, you know, she's really tall, so maybe she doesn't wear a high heel. Maybe that's not her thing." Your your kitten heel kind of girl doesn't suddenly become like the type of woman who's like, oh, I'm out of office. And I've been so changed by being first lady of the United States that the first thing I'm going to do is go on vacation with Richard Branson and put on some coochie cutter shorts and put my hair in pigtails. That's who you are. The person you were all along was free. Like Michelle Obama got out of office and, and stopped wearing her brasiers, which I it tickled me to death. Like every time she'd go out and she'd have on like a, 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 a wrap skirt and it'd be split up to her hoo-ha. And she was chilling, thinking about all the things that she writes about in the book, about the sacrifices that she's made. And then seeing her on her book tour being so candid and so free and so comfortable in her skin made me realize how uncomfortable she was the whole time she was in office. This woman gave up so much of herself to to be the first black first lady. She really did. She gave her career, which I mean, all things considered, like I think that, that all turned out okay for her. But she really just sacrificed a lot. And I was just like, wow, like you just never know. What's going on behind the scenes until, you know, someone writes a memoir and tells you what's going on behind the scenes. So I started reading this book and I started crying reading The Book Jacket. Like I was just so proud because of the shenanigans that exist in the White House now. I just have such a deeper appreciation for the Obamas. So I'm not going to go point by point with Michelle Obama's book, but a few overall points that I just I was really Moved by, I would say one was like how black this book was because it's the first lady of the United States. I mean, it's the first black first lady, but the first lady of the United States, first lady of the United States is the first lady of everybody, not just the first lady of black people. So I just thought that her book was going to be less black. I thought she was going to clean it up and give you a a couple black moments here, but I thought she was going to like black explain them for white people because you know, black people know. Tons of things about white people, but white people be like, so you don't wash your hair every day. No, but Michelle Obama wrote a super black book. I'm like, this is borderline like Alice Walker, Toni Morrison, black, like he was black, black. So we knew Michelle Obama was like black girl, black. But Michelle Obama is like, yeah, like my grandfather, we I didn't call him grandpa or pop pop. Like I called him South Side. One point in the book, Michelle Obama talks about like going out in the neighborhood and, you know, you have to establish dominance because otherwise people will try to to eat you alive. She had friction with a group of girls. So she showed up one day, the girls were there, and she was like, I'm just going to jump on the toughest one. People need to know I'm not a game out here. So she was like, so I jumped on her. And I was like, the first lady is talking about setting it off. Like, this is wild talk. I loved it. Mm. Something else that, that I really loved was the part where Michelle Obama talks about applying to colleges and her mentor or her college advisor was like, mm, Princeton, maybe not for you. Reading that, and this is one of the reasons I, I like to read memoirs in general, because other people telling their stories in, in a very conversational style triggers memories of things that, you know, I might not think about on a regular basis. I'll give you two really great instances that I didn't I hadn't thought about in years until I read that scene. When I was maybe eight, nine, I went on this road trip with my parents and a friend of my father's on the ride up to Canada, this woman, because people always ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Michelle Obama talks about that in the book. And she's like, you know, we," she's like, I think we really need to stop asking kids that question because... The assumption is that you can only be one thing. Like, you become a doctor, and that's all you're ever gonna be. You're gonna become a lawyer, that's all you're ever gonna be. And Michelle Obama points out, and she's like, I've had like five different careers, some of them very unexpected. Like, I thought I was gonna be a lawyer, and then I didn't like the lawyer part, and then I went and did something else, and I ended up working for this hospital. And then, you know, I ended up becoming first lady, and then I became a best selling author doing this, like, you know, sold out tour in arenas around the country. Who knows what's next? Complete sidebar, I'm dying to find out what they're doing on Netflix. I have a sneaking suspicion that Michelle Obama's tour is probably going to end up as a Netflix special. If it doesn't, I'd be shocked. But I really, really, really think that that's in the works. Sorry. So this the woman asked me, and she was like, oh, like, you know, little girl, nine, 10-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a talk show host. And she was like, a talk show host. And I wanted to be a talk show host because of Oprah Winfrey. There's a couple things in life that I've meant to do that I, I haven't had a chance to do yet. One is live in a loft to have a New York Times best selling book. I had two books that sold really, really well, but neither one of them hit the New York Times list. And the other one is to be a talk show host. And I've been really close a couple of times. I've done a couple pilots, a couple auditions. That just didn't come to fruition. I'm still on my life's mission to do. But the woman says to me, and she's like, You can't be a talk show host. And I said to her, I was like, Well, Oprah's a talk show host. And she was like, You can't be Oprah. But Oprah wasn't supposed to be Oprah either. But I saw no reason why there couldn't just be a Demetria, no last name needed. But this woman tells me no. And it really crushed me. So this other time, I was in college. I want to say I was a sophomore or a junior. And I took a creative writing class. The professor was actually black, and I'm a nerd, right? so I got mostly straight A's like I, I'd get like four a 's and a b right and and I'd beat myself up over the B because my parents would beat me up over the b. This professor gave me a b at the end of the semester, and i I'd written like some big final series of essays or collection of essays or something like that as as a final project and One thing that I know how to do is to write. I can string some sentences together and it sounds like something. I am a natural born writer and I've honed that talent. I mean, it it needed much improvement when I was in college, but it was honed far beyond what was considered good for a college level. And I know that because in every other writing class I ever took, I'd always gotten A's. This woman decided not to give me such. And this is my first creative writing class. So I went to, you know, protest my grade because I I gotta go back in this house and explain to my parents. Like, I gotta be. I'd rather go to this woman and be like, so you gotta do something for me here than to go hear my dad's mouth. So I go to her office hours and she was just point blank with me. She was like, I just don't really feel like, you know, you're a very good writer. I'm sorry, what? Like what are you saying to me? You're not you're not speaking proper English to me because I know, I know how to write. And so she was just like, "No, you just, you know, you're just really not that good." And she was like, "I hope you're not considering a career as a writer because I just don't really think that that's going to work for you." As I was reading Michelle Obama's book, I was taken back to, you know, being a kid and being told that you can't do something and then again like As a college student, you know, trying to develop my confidence and and figure out what I want to do. Here's this woman that tells me again, like, yeah, so that dream you had, you should probably defer it. Like, who does that? But people do that to kids all the time. And it really sucks because all these years later, I remember and Michelle Obama remembers how much it hurt. So three different times reading this book, I was in tears, like fat tears, falling on the page. I'm operating at my peak self right now. And I'm very in tune with everything and everything around me. I feel things very deeply. So I will cry all the time. The first time I cried, Michelle Obama was learning to play the piano. She's a little girl, maybe around eight or so, maybe younger. But she does, she'd been training with her aunt on this piano. And there was a broken middle C, but it was it was damaged in some way. She always used that as a reference point when she was playing the piano. So she does this recital and it's at a fancy place and the piano wasn't broken. And because she had grown up with a broken piano, she didn't know where to place her hands or how to play. And that just really hurt me. It really just made me think, A lot about inequality and the ineffective way that we try to address it. And what I mean by that is you ever hear about a lotto winner who didn't have a lot of money and they hit the lotto for many, many millions. And then three or four years later, 10 years later, they're busted. And people are like, I don't understand. We gave you all this money. How could you just frivolously spend it and lose it all? You gave them something, that they needed, that they wanted, but you didn't teach them how to use it properly. So I think about Michelle Obama's middle C in the sense that here's a child from a background who experienced lack, even if she didn't know it, with this broken piano being an, an example of it, and you give her access, you give her the tools, but you don't teach her how to use these new shiny tools. In her instance, her aunt, who didn't know how to do, came, showed her middle C, and then little Michelle Obama goes ahead and plays and does her recital beautifully. But I just thought about all the ways that we, in very good intent, try to help people, and we just give them the tools, but you don't provide the training. And the training is just as important as the tools and the access. Michelle Obama's book, it's a great story. But it's also a great story, well told. The way that she talks about her father's illness and the way it progresses throughout the book until he ultimately passes away was was really, really well done. You get the sense of a very proud man physically, not mentally or emotionally, but a very but a very proud man physically deteriorating. And Michelle Obama slowly watching, that happened and there's nothing that she can do. Her father is very ill. He's in the hospital and he's he's very close to death. She goes to visit him. He couldn't speak at that time. He takes her hand and he kisses it three times on the back of her hand. And I'm remembering this and I haven't read the book in a good 2 months and I cried and cried and cried. And my daddy is alive like but it, that just I cried Like when William died on This Is Us, she described him and her love for him and his love for her throughout the book in such detail that it really hit me like like someone I knew had died. The final time that I cried was Michelle Obama's story of her friend Suzanne, someone she met in college. She describes her kind of like the Denise character from from Cosby and A Different World. She just marches to the beat of her own drum. She doesn't do things the, the convenient way, the practical way, the straight and narrow way. She just does what she feels like doing, and she's really happy about that. In some ways, at some point, I was very much like Michelle Obama, in which I was the practical one. I took risks, but they were all very calculated, very well thought out. And I never just said, fuck it all, and I'll figure it out and Suzanne is is that friend for Michelle Obama a lot of times Michelle Obama had my reaction she was looking at her like what are you doing like you need to you know be be more practical be more steady be more secure and then Suzanne i guess it's probably in her late 20s passes away and Michelle Obama has this come to Jesus where it just changes her. She starts to look at life differently. Suzanne passes away in her 20s, it seems. But Suzanne had lived. She had lived some life. Whereas Michelle Obama had gone on this straight and narrow track. She'd been very deliberate. She'd done what was expected of her, but she wasn't happy. Suzanne did everything different, but Suzanne was happy. And happiness, once you've been unhappy and you felt stifled, There is nothing that compares or is more important than happiness. And that story made me think about the Suzanne in my own life. Really good friend. She was my best friend in high school's other best friend who she met in college. And then she and I became close. She does whatever she wants. She'll quit a job in a heartbeat because she feels unfulfilled. She feels like traveling. She wants to bounce from state to state. She wants to bounce from country to country. And she's done this for like a good 20 years. Every time I log on to Instagram, she's in a different country. And I'm just like, and and sometimes I think to myself and be like, what about your job? What about your career? What about your 401k? What about your savings? And that's me projecting my worries onto her. That's not her. She's happy. I had to learn to be accountable for that. Like I'm imposing my ish on her. She don't want it. She's just living her life. And so I've learned so much being around her. I just had to learn like how to calm the fuck down and how to enjoy life. If nothing else, like she makes decisions that I don't agree with. And the best part of it is I don't have to. And she doesn't need me to. And she doesn't want me to. And what she's taught me just by living her life and being happy is invaluable. I love that chick. So she is my person Suzanne. I would be devastated if anything happened to her. So Michelle Obama talking about Suzanne, I was like, oh my God, like just, just boo-hoo. I love when I experience art because that's what this book is. But I love when I experience art that just opens me up and and changes me and, and makes me reflect on my life, my choices, my friends, my circle, my reasons, my seasons, my lifetimes. So, so I don't have a favorite part of the book but one of my favorites is when the now Michelle Obama encounters Barry Obama. And one of the things that I love is she goes into such detail about their courtship and where she was in the world and where he was in the world. Because there's been so much chatter about their relationship. And and people talk about it in a good way, but they project so much on to their story, and they use it as an example for all sorts of different agendas. One of those agendas is to talk about how women should settle, should look at potential, should take a risk, because your fave, Michelle Obama, did that when she met Barack, and he turned out to be president. I've always pointed out the flaw in that thinking, But Michelle Obama's book breaks it down so that it can forever be broke. When Michelle Robinson meets Barack Obama, she has a law degree. She's working for a top law firm in a high rise. She has an office with beautiful views like she's doing well for herself. Barack Obama shows up. He's a summer associate, which is a paid job. He was not an intern. Let's be clear. But he was an associate while he was pursuing a law degree at Harvard. When Michelle Obama's supervisor says that, you know, we want you to look out for the summer associate, it's added that he's in his first year, he's taking a position that's usually reserved for second years, and he's coming with the recommendation of a professor who's friends with one of the partners in the law firm, and says that Barack Obama is one of the most brilliant legal minds who's ever come through that classroom. That's a hell of a recommendation. So he may show up thin in a poorly tailored suit, wet, because I think he said it was raining that day. He may have not had a lot of money. He may have driven a car that had a hole in the floor, but he was pursuing a degree at Harvard. Like he was always going somewhere in life. Michelle Obama says at one point in the book, she's like, I think he's brilliant. But I did ask myself, like, is he ever going to make any money? So I can't even see how she could think that. If you have a Harvard law degree you can always get a good job like if he chose to be broke then that was a choice but he always had the option to do more he was never going to be a bum dude on top of that let me just back up real quick he was in law school he already had a degree and he already had a degree from columbia and that's why it's always bothered me when people are like oh michelle took a chance on barack obama because she was here and he was there like he was at harvard And then character-wise, Michelle Obama was also like, when Barry shows up, she ain't really feeling him. She tried to pass him off to somebody else. He was like, nope, not about that, about you. He was focused on her. Her version is... He had things that he needed to develop, but his core character was in place. She describes him as a fully developed man. She ain't have to build him. She ain't have to be the coat surrounding him. She ain't have to rebirth him. It's always so funny to me the way that people expect women's standards to not exist really like you should just be happy that a man showed up like it it doesn't matter people use barack obama as an example of oh michelle was just happy he showed up no she wasn't she was good he was good barack obama put action was willfully and visually able to be seen working doing that counts for a lot but yeah but i just i love their story i love that it it's Not perfect. I love that they grow together. I love that they inspire each other in much the same way that that Suzanne's passing prompted Michelle Obama to make what she calls a swerve in life. So did being around Barack. He's very different than her. Like she's, you know, very straight. A narrow rigid almost kind of person and he just sort of does what he does he gets around to it and somehow it gets done which I've been around people like that it can be very infuriating but when they get it done there's only but so much you can say like the bottom line like we take two different approaches but the result is the same and you seem a whole lot happier about it just sort of you know doing it at, at your leisure I like that she was so candid about their relationship and her lust for him. so I think sometimes women just, we clean it up and we act like we have no sex drive. And she was like, oh no, I was interested. I was interested and I did practice, you know, happily, willfully, with consent and joy. I love it. I love it. So Barack and Michelle get married. I love how candid she was about their relationship and its imperfections but i love that she's just very real about it because people think of the obamas as relationship goals they're physically attractive and very stunning people but they clearly lust for each other they've been married i think at this point like 25 26 years they're clearly super into each other and doing it all the time like which is you know relationship goals right but she's very candid that marriage is hard work and and every day is not perfection and some of the things that she shared i was like oh me and Barry might not have made it. Like, Barry is your person. That person is for you. Because me and Barry, I, I couldn't have been first lady with Barry. When they got married, he hadn't submitted his book, but she had a book deal for because he was working on another project. But the publisher was like, no, nah, we want our money back. So they just got married. And now they're like, what, like $40,000 in debt? That's a problem. His solution is, is I'm going to go write a whole book. In six weeks. Okay. But he's like, oh, I talked to my mom. I'm going to go to Indonesia and do it. Sir, we live in Chicago. We got married in in the city of Chicago in the state of Illinois. Indonesia is a minimum 23-hour flight. Like, what do you mean you going to Indonesia? We just got married. And five weeks later, you want to go to Indonesia? And not like, oh, I'm going to go to Indonesia for like a week. I'm going to go to Indonesia for six weeks while you stay here and work. I'm gonna come back with a manuscript like I need to focus sir you need you need time to yourself go to the library but sir what you mean you're going to Indonesia and here's the crazy part because I'm just being really transparent that's some shit I do and so I was reading it and I, I was like oh my god I can't believe he tried that and then I was like yeah that's that's some ish I would try because i I write, so I get it, I'm like i need I need a muse, I need to be inspired i need I need to be near the water, like I will run water while I'm writing, I will listen to the sounds of waves or waterfalls while I'm writing because I'm a cancer. i just I need to be near water else I become very unhappy. So I get what he was saying, but you couldn't say that to me. It's completely hypocritical, me acknowledging that's one of my blind spots, but that wouldn't have worked for me. The other thing she talked about like after the kids were born. He would call and say, hey, babe, I'm on my way home. But then he wouldn't show up for like another 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half because he got caught up talking to somebody. He decided he was going to stop off and go to the gym, get something to eat, do whatever, whatever BSing that he does. And I was like, oh, like some of this is just man ish. Like they just there's a blind spot even in the best of men that just just. It's like they just don't get fundamental things. And, and, and Barack Obama is one of them. I was just like, Barry, bruh, like you, you doing the most right now. One thing that I did take away from this book, which is a really important lesson for me, many times in many different ways, Michelle Obama says she recognizes that her husband is a different person than who she is. And his optimism is part of the reason that she fell in love with him. His, I marched to the beat of my own drum, is part of what attracted her to him. And she was like, it's not my job to block his blessings. She was like, it's not my job to take away his optimism. It's not my job to stop him from pursuing his dream. As a partner, my job is to support him. As a partner, my job is to let him be. And I thought that was so important because I hate it when someone tries to stifle me. I hate it when I'm trying to, you know, reach higher, do something bigger, dream big or do something outside of the box. And someone comes to me and says, you know, you should probably be more practical. You probably shouldn't do that. You should probably think this way instead of that way. And I'm like, why are you shitting on my dreams? She doesn't do that. She lets him be. I think sometimes people get caught up in the idea of what a husband is supposed to be, what a wife is supposed to be, what those titles must mean and what roles must come along with them. And they get caught up in being what they expect a wife to be or, or trying to make their husband be what a husband is supposed to be instead of just letting Barack be Barack and Michelle be Michelle. And that's not to say, you know, throw out all the all the roles or all the the expectations, but more like define them specifically for what works for your home and your relationship. Plenty of people, and I would have, without checking myself, I would have been one of those people that said, "He going to Bali? He going to Indonesia? You just got married. It's been five weeks," and I would have been wrong. She wasn't happy about him going to Indonesia, but she knows her dude. Like. He said he needed to go to Indonesia and he needed to write and he was going to get this manuscript done. And it sounds crazy, but Brush showed back up five, six weeks later with a complete manuscript in tow, sold the manuscript to another publisher for better money. So got them out of debt, produced the manuscript. Like, how mad can you really be at that? But like, you ain't happy about it. But once the manuscript comes, like you did what you said you were going to do. It was unconventional because that's your thing. But you did it. It got done and we got paid off it. like uh, uh, Carry on. I ain't going to say I was wrong, but I ain't going to throw it in your face that I was annoyed. We're just going to move along and keep it pushing to the next thing. Another thing, and I talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, is the level of sacrifice that Michelle Obama made for her marriage and for her husband to pursue his dreams. And marriage is sacrifice. That's part and parcel of of what comes with it. If you don't want to sacrifice, you don't want to compromise, you don't want to negotiate, do not get married. But very fundamental things. like I talked about her job earlier on in the podcast, but also the idea, once Barack Obama becomes a senator, his primary office is in D.C. And they've got two kids at home. So she's operating essentially as a single mom. No one gets married and has kids and expects to operate that way. That's frustrating. That's super, super frustrating. I was not at all surprised to, to hear that they ended up in counseling. And she learned an important lesson from from that experience. She was like, I am in charge of my happiness. Like, I can't depend on him to make me happy. I have to do that for myself. And I was like, if that ain't a lesson, a word, put it on a billboard, put it on a T-shirt, put it on a banner and fly it around, like attached to an airplane. The other one, and I think this one is less spoken about with women, is you get married. And if you go the traditional route, you change your last name, right? So... She goes from Robinson to Obama, which is fine for her. As her husband's political career takes off and he becomes more visible, she becomes Mrs. Obama. She's no longer Michelle unless she's at work. She's Barack Obama's wife. And when you're someone who has their own identity, who's very successful, is used to having their own you know, job, you manage people, people report to you, like you are a person in a position of power and authority, or you just have your own identity. You ain't got no power, you ain't got no authority, but you you just have your own identity. And and you have a, especially for people who have like almost like a, a Marlowe from The Wire, like my name is my name. And then people don't even bother to know what you do. They just think of you as so-and-so's wife. It's, it's a mindfuck. So Barack has these amazing political ambitions and he's really good at what he does. He decides to run for president because that's just a likely thing that your husband decides to do. Michelle Obama is activated to go on the road and campaign for her husband. So she's out there, you know, being normal person that she's always been. She's, you know, she's a very good speaker. The first time I ever heard Michelle Obama speak was when Barack Obama was running his campaign the first time around, I guess, 2007, I obviously got inaugurated in 2008. So 2007, he's campaigning and I was working at Essence and I left work to go hear Michelle Obama speak in Harlem. And she was amazing. What she talks about in the book about how she was sort of like every girl and she would make, you know, sort of depreciating remarks about her husband in jest in the way that people talk about their spouses. She would say things and people would would accuse her of being an angry black woman. And she was like, what do you mean I'm angry? And the Michelle Obama that we've been seeing on, on book tour and, and nightly talk shows and and all of that, like there's nothing angry about that woman. Like she's she's funny. She has wit. She's very intelligent. She has sarcasm, but she's actually quite light and delightful. But she's fun. Like, she's very auntie. Like, I would love to hang out with her. I would love to travel with her. I would love to have wine with her. I'd stop drinking again, but I would totally have red wine with Michelle Obama. Or a shot. I'd do tequila with Michelle Obama because Michelle Obama strikes me as a woman who may do a shot of tequila every now and again. I remember many, many years ago, HBO had The Blacklist. And they would interview various prominent Black people About their lives. It was kind of like a precursor to Super Soul Sunday. One of the people they interviewed was Thelma Golden, who is the chief curator of art at the Studio Museum of Harlem. The quote that I always remember because it ran in the commercial was she was talking about the stereotype of Black women specifically being angry. And she said that she could create an art piece that was a wall full of smiley faces, and people would still ask her, "Why are you so angry?" It's like the only emotion that people recognize for Black women. Hearing her say it, it's just like, "Yeah, that that sounds about right. That sounds that sounds very familiar." Like, and I think, I, not even I think, like I've been subjected to that. Like, I'm not the pinkest girl in the world. I'm not. I don't giggle after I speak. My voice has bass in it. I speak my mind. I consider myself a feminist. And people just think I'm like the meanest person ever in life. Like the only time I'm really mean is if you come for me and I feel like it that day. But in general, I really just don't care. Like I certainly don't classify myself as mean. But I think as, as a Black woman, even if you walk around smiling all day, like the one, the one second you don't, people are like, oh, she's mean. I don't know what to do with that other than just exist and ignore you. If the default assumption you make about me is that I'm mean, there's nothing for me to do about that. Like, I'm certainly not going to tap dance to try to convince you otherwise. Think what you want. Uh, That's not my problem. Your thoughts are a reflection of, of you. They're not necessarily reflection or a proper assessment of me. I was surprised. Surprised is not the right word. I was intrigued, perhaps, about how difficult the job of first lady is or the existence of being first lady is. No one thinks that being first lady and being in the White House is a cakewalk. But being the first black first lady made it exceptionally harder than it usually is. She talked extensively about how her fashion choices were constantly scrutinized. I remember Michelle Obama cut her bangs and it was like a thing. Covers of magazines, Michelle Obama in these bangs on a, on a much, much, much smaller scale I remember I posted a picture without like my weave in and I had like a ton of hair. And people wrote about it on like news sites or gossip sites, actually bonafide news sites. People were like, oh, Demetria Lucas like removes her, takes her weave out. And this is what her natural hair looks like. And I was like, are you serious right now? I can't imagine that like happening every day. She talks about going on date night with Barack Obama. They went to New York. For dinner, they may or may not have seen a play, but she talks about all the effort that was involved. Like the the restaurant had to be, you know, checked out by the Secret Service. They had to take Air Force One to get there, and then streets have to be shut down while they ride through the city. Every time they went somewhere, it was super expensive, and then it was just wildly inconvenient. And she says that's the reason they didn't have a church home when they were in office because just to go to the church, you know, it made things inconvenient for the other parishioners. And I was just like, I never thought about that part of it. And it's so weird because I, you know, I grew up in DC, like any given day you could be trying to go somewhere and you hear the sirens from the motorcycles first and they start blocking off streets and then a couple police cars will come by and then everything will be quiet for a minute. And then like the whole motorcade will come by and then more police cars behind the motorcade. The presidential motorcade is what I mean. And then After they go by, then the motorcycles will go by after them and the streets will open up again. Like, D.C. traffic is terrible as is, but it becomes extra terrible anytime the president wants to move around the city. I mean, it's an inconvenience for traffic, but I just didn't think about how that inconvenience extends to every time they try to leave the White House. Michelle Obama talks about another time when uh, the LGBTQIA, I want to include everybody, community gets the right to marriage. And there's a big rally celebration outside of the White House. If I recall, I think the White House went into rainbow colors to acknowledge. And she and Malia are trying to go outside the White House to celebrate. And they just want to go on the lawn and be in the moment in the revelry. And she was like, I had to argue for 15 minutes to leave my home. And I was like, wow, like you think that you go move into the White House and everything's like the lap of luxury. This is amazing. But in some ways, like it very much sounded like a prison. Like you can't leave. That's that's a gilded cage. A gilded, great. A cage, nonetheless. I could talk about this book forever. I could do another entire hour, which I'm not going to do. I just, I love the lessons. I love the story. I love, I love a good well-told story. I think telling your story, especially as a woman, Is so important. People go through all sorts of things. They deal with all sorts of issues. And very often people think they're alone. They think that nobody else will get it. And as a writer who's written extensively about my personal life since, I guess, like 2007, it's like 12 years now, I've never written anything, no matter how weird, how soul-bearing, how awful, how great, where there hasn't been a chorus of people saying, oh, my God, me too. Even if you can't relate to the exact situation, because obviously, like, I've I've never been first lady, but I relate to the scrutiny of being a Black woman in the public eye. I relate to the scrutiny or the stereotyping of being an angry Black woman. I think every Black woman, angry or not, has fallen into that category. And you're like, wait, what? I relate to the idea of sacrifice. I relate to the idea of of being you know, very rigid and, and stringent and having to admiring secretly people who weren't that way and learning to relax and fall back some. But more than anything, I liked the idea of becoming. Because I think most people would look at Michelle Obama and say, you were the first lady of the United States. Like, that is that's your story that's that's the pinnacle of of whatever you're going to do in life and and that's that's it that's that's all you got and she's like no that's that's another thing on the long list of things that that I did that I accomplished that I experienced but there's more Michelle Obama's in her mid 50s she looks amazing oh my god she looks amazing she's in the process of becoming whatever comes next she was the first lady she became a, a best selling author. She's becoming an executive producer on, on whatever's happening with this Netflix thing, which I'm dying to see. I'm sure there's there's fifty million other things that are coming down the pipeline, but I like the idea of, you know, the story's not over. The story still continues. That resonates with me. A couple other really great lessons that I took from the book are the importance of asking for what you want. On a couple occasions she she just had to be point blank, like, this is what I need. And she asked for it and she got it. She's told her husband's campaign she was like you know I don't feel supported like I need more and they were like oh okay and, and she got more she showed up to a job that she wasn't really sure she wanted to take she asked for the world and everything in it and because they wanted her they were like all right well here's the world and and everything in it and uh when can you start really yeah yeah that's kind of how the world works I'm not saying every time you ask you're gonna get a yes but every time you don't ask you're guaranteed not to get an answer Those are my thoughts on Michelle Obama's absolutely amazingly wonderful book, Becoming. My father recently asked, he was like, oh, can I borrow your copy of Michelle Obama's book? And I'm like, no, my brother, you must get your own. I I actually did let him read it because I'm I'm a nice person. But then I started thinking to myself as he started reading, I was like, oh, I probably wrote some crazy stuff in some of those margins, like, you know, triggered thoughts. And I didn't want my dad to read it. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to get you your own copy. But I don't mind supporting Michelle Obama and and her book sales because I think she's absolutely amazing. And I think after the amazing sacrifices that she made for her family to be first lady for her country and to give us so much joy and inspiration just by existing. I want her to to feel as herself again. I want her to feel important as, you know, not Mrs. Obama as an extension to Barack, but as Michelle Obama, as like just a complete badass woman who deserves all the shine and glory and attention she's been receiving. And so I can't wait to see what happens next. This concludes my very first podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed creating. I don't know where you are listening to this podcast, but if you are not listening on my blog, do know that the podcast is posted on my blog, DemetriaLLucas.com. It arrives on the blog first. You can go there and you can have discussions about the podcast with hundreds, hopefully thousands of other people who may be listening along. Also, if you like today's podcast, leave me a review. I'll be forever appreciative. In the meantime, I'll see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening. Let's grab-